Welcome to the Capital News. I am your host, Alex Caritas. Today is Saturday, February 19th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining me. I know it's been a while since I have been on to do a podcast. My apologies for that. Just a new job over the past several months has just taken a little bit more time away from me than I was hoping. And I have been waiting for a work-from-home schedule, which now is in place, which will give me a little bit more flexibility to save on some of my commute time so I can get Hopefully, some more podcasts out during the week, maybe two, three, maybe put a couple out on the weekends. We'll see what happens. I've missed doing them, and I know a handful of you have been reaching out to me through various platforms asking me when I was going to do another one. So I'm very excited that I still have such loyal uh, audience members who have been anticipating uh, another podcast. So I'm happy to be back and to do this. This is why I do them. I want the audience to grow. I want you guys engaged. I want you asking questions. I want you to reach out to me saying, can you cover this topic? I'm curious to learn a little bit about more about this. It seems like, Alex, you might know a little bit more about this than I do. I'd like to at least hear your take on it because I've heard some other people saying this, that, or the other. That's what this is all about. I want it to be as interactive as possible. So thank you for reaching out and asking me questions and for asking me when I'm coming back. It means a lot to me. That's why I do this. So I want to say hello to all of my fellow Republicans. Now, of course, I'm a libertarian. I don't mean conservative Republicans. I mean banana Republicans, because that's what this country has turned into. Now, last year, the year prior, I was saying we are on the cusp of becoming a banana republic. We are a quasi-banana republic. Now we are basically full-blown banana republic. Now, the inflation rate, which the title of today's podcast is Inflation Nation, We're not quite there yet to really be called a banana republic with respect to inflation, but on so many other metrics, yeah, I think it's time to really call the United States of America a banana republic, which basically means every other country on the planet is the same. It's a true tragedy, but that's what this has become. I mean, you look at what's going on with our neighbors to the north in Canada. It's an atrocity. Where are prominent politicians in this country, which, of course, demented Joe Biden isn't going to come out and say anything. Of course, our vice president, Kamala Harris, she doesn't even know what day it is. So, of course, they're not going to comment on what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Canadian government is doing to a bunch of peaceful protesters. Okay, this is peaceful protesting. Driving your trucks, honking your horns, marching on the streets, playing hockey on the streets, singing songs, singing the national anthem. I mean, having cookouts, playing music, that's a peaceful protest. Yet, of course, Justin Trudeau, who is a spineless little weasel, has the audacity to call those people, his fellow Canadians, terrorists. Yet he will take a knee with Black Lives Matter. Doesn't matter what cities are burning across the country, across the world in the name of Black Lives Matter. Oh, no, that's peaceful. They're just venting years of frustration. It's perfectly fine to hurt people, to hurt property, to vandalize. It's perfectly okay. Those people, those involved, they're not terrorists. You don't need to come down with an iron fist on those protesters. But when you disagree with the government, when you disagree with Justin Trudeau, as a truck driver or anybody else for that matter, a farmer, somebody who works in the mining industry and you're driving your big trucks on the road. No, no, you're against Justin Trudeau, so you are a terrorist. I cannot stress this to you, ladies and gentlemen, enough. This is in Canada. This isn't Romania. 
This isn't some former Soviet Republican nation. This isn't some Central American country. This is in Canada. Cannot stress this to you enough. And I told you this type of thing was going to happen. I almost can't even believe it myself. And I've been saying this for the past two, three years because February is actually the third anniversary of the Capital News podcast. I started this in February of 2019, if you can believe it. I said, we're going to get protests. People said, oh no, Alex, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen here. And presumably one would also think that wouldn't happen in Canada, but that's exactly what is happening. And I'm sure many of you have heard some of the other comments that have been made by some of the other members of the Ottawa City Council or parliamentarians in Canada accusing a bunch of truck drivers honking the horns, disrupting businesses, disrupting the work-life process in Canada, saying, how could they do this? They have to stop. Yet it was perfectly okay for those politicians and bureaucrats in Canada and all over the world to do that for the past two years. Shut down businesses, ruin lives, mess with people's mental states, the development of children because they can't communicate with other children and adults to learn nonverbal cues. I mean, this is going to affect these children, especially younger children, for the rest of their lives. In a negative way, mind you. But that was perfectly okay because that was in the name of science and they were trying to do a good thing for everybody else. But a bunch of truck drivers who are already vaccinated, so this is not an anti-vax protest on part of these people. They're just sick and tired of the curfews. They just want to get back to living their lives as free Canadians. What's the crime in that? Well, Justin Trudeau doesn't want you being a free Canadian, so you're a terrorist. You see what's going on here? I told you this pandemic was going to be used as cover to get away with whatever they could get away with. The inflation nation that we are dealing with. I warned about this two years ago with the passage of the Nobody Cares Act 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. 97 to nothing. Zero votes for the United States of America. Not a Democrat, not a Republican stood up in the Senate to say we can't do this. None of them could look over the hill to see what was going to come on the other side of this. So you better stop voting for these people. Because if you continue to vote for them, you're continuing with the problem. You're part of the problem, unfortunately. You have to stop voting for them. I know you have a huge distaste and you really don't like the Democrats or you really don't like the Republicans. And so, well, you think my only choice is to vote for the other party. No, you have to stop voting for both of them. They have destroyed this country. How much more do you need to see? I don't want to hear anybody else talking about Donald Trump anymore. I don't want to hear people talking about Hillary Clinton anymore because all of these problems came about with those people and their type of thinking while they've been at the helm. You get it? You think this inflation is all because of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? You're crazy. As much as I don't like either of them, I can't lay all of this at their feet. Are they contributing to it? 100% they are. But are they the full-blown cause of it? No. This has been years in the making. And a lot of it came with the Nobody Cares Act that was signed into law happily by former President Donald Trump. And don't forget what Donald Trump said to the Economic Club of New York a few years ago, saying he wants the Federal Reserve to print more money 
to take rates to neg- into negative territory. You think inflation's bad now. What do you think would have happened if that actually happened? If they did take rates, nominal rates, into negative territory. Okay? So I don't want to hear about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton anymore. If that's the best we can do, then we truly are a banana republic. You better find somebody else. You better find somebody in the Independent Party and the Libertarian Party because that's the only place you're going to find any saving grace in this country or any other country for that matter with that same type of mindset. Because if you're just going to go into the party platform, if you're just going to say, oh, well, I'm a Republican, that's how it's going to be, or I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, that's how it's going to be, well, then guess what? You're going to continue to get what we're getting. And a lot of people are better than that and don't deserve it. So you better wake up and you better stop voting for these people. You better stop being tricked and fooled and conned just because they get out there every couple years and use a bunch of key words that turns you on. So, ooh, freedom. Ooh, democracy. Ooh, lower taxes. Ooh, no more war. Ooh, free health care. If you're that easy to trick, then guess what? You're getting what you deserve. I'm just trying to wake you up. I'm just trying to make you look, uh, trying to help you look over the curve, over the hill. Not just exactly what's in front of you right now. Well, if they do this, what's going to happen next? That's why I was so against the Nobody Cares Act before they even passed it. This audience knows this. You have it on the capitalnews.com if you want to go find that letter that I sent to my senators and congressmen saying, do not pass whatever's going to be coming down the pike because we knew something was coming. Because it was going to, they were going to justify the unjustifiable. They were going to get away with murder. They were going to spend so much of our money from today and so much money from our future that it was a crime. That it was a crime. It is a crime. And they continue to spend recklessly. And if it wasn't for political survivorship, if it wasn't for political selfishness on the part of a couple powerful senators, or at least they turned into powerful senators, Senator Manchin and Cinema, again, just because they're trying to survive politically in the respective states of West Virginia and Arizona, they said, okay, enough's enough with some of this spending from the Democrats. Can't do the Build Back Better and blah, 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 blah. But mind you, they would love to pass it. And they will pass more spending. And God forbid we end up in another war. And I'll talk about that here briefly. But I do want to get to some market performance as to where we are. Because again, I haven't done a podcast in a while. And some of these markets, especially the commodity markets, have continued to take off as we were expecting. And that's what you expect in an inflationary environment. And I anticipate that this is going to get much much worse, unfortunately, before it gets better, most likely going to last the remainder of this decade because there is no leadership, there is no accountability, the Federal Reserve, the federal government are not going to step up to the plate and do what is needed to really bring down inflation because they are trapped, okay? So on the commodity front, we have WTI oil at $91.49 a barrel, okay? The last time I did a podcast, we might have been, what, $70 a barrel, so this is a huge move over the past several months. Brent oil is trading at $93.61 a barrel, very close to flirting with $100 a barrel, which we have not seen in quite a while. 
and you bring this on top of all-time high food prices on some metrics or near all-time high food metrics, you're right back to where we were in 2011, the Arab Spring, something I talked about many, many times before and will continue to talk about because this is what will trigger more protests, more riots, more shortages, because when prices go up, people are going to say, well, my wages haven't gone up, so workers will strike, demanding wage increases. Well, if they're striking, they're not working. They're not working, they're not producing. They're not producing, there's not more goods coming onto the market. People aren't shipping because there's nothing to ship. You can see the daisy chain effect of how this will continue to put upward pressure on prices. But this audience has to understand that the inflation did not come from supply chain disruptions. Supply chain disruptions exacerbated the inflation. The inflation came from Washington, D.C. and other government capitals and other central banks. That's where it always comes from. It's a monetary phenomenon. They increase the money supply. They increase their spending. That's where it came from. Of course, those central banks and those federal governments are not going to take blame for it. They are going to continue to blame COVID-19 and they're going to continue to blame the supply chain disruptions because of COVID-19. So let's just make it understood, especially to my conservative Republican friends out there who clearly do not like to toe the line for the federal government and be their mouthpiece. If you are making an argument with yourself, with your friends, with your colleagues, etc., that the reason for this inflation is due to supply chain disruptions, you're a mouthpiece, you're a spokesman or woman for the federal government. That's exactly what they want to hear. Because, hey, it's, it's COVID-19, it's the supply chains. Wasn't our fault. No, it was their fault. The supply chain disruptions just make it worse. Don't forget that. All right, so that's oil. And of course, oil is a commodity that goes in to everything. And something, that el something else that needs to be highlighted and stressed is the fact that a lot of major oil companies globally have not been investing in new projects. So this means there's only so much supply that's going to come onto the market. And the reason why so many of these major oil companies have not been investing heavily in searching for new discoveries is because of really the Green New Deal in, these, in that same type of philosophy where we got to shift away from natural resources into renewable resources. So you have a lot of governments who are going to attack big oil. You're going to have even institutional investors who are going to, big money managers who are going to say, well, we need to start shifting our investment thesis away from the quote unquote old economy, old oil and gas, and we need to start shifting to renewables wind, solar, etc., etc. And so the money isn't there. And with these oil companies afraid of more regulations coming down hard on them from one government after the next, because these companies are global, obviously, they're going to say, well, it's not prudent of us with shareholder money to start investing in risky projects, which of course may turn out to be a gold mine, an oil mine, if you will, or it could be nothing, but nonetheless, no risk, no return. So they're trapped. So they say, well, we're not going to put good money after bad because we might get slammed down 
by one government after the next. So instead, we're just going to increase our dividends, which is good for those investors. But as a global economy that still very much needs oil and gas, well, there's just not as much coming onto market because they're not looking for more discoveries. So if you thought oil prices were high back in 2008, $140, $150 a barrel, let me tell you something. Back then, you had a lot of capital expenditures. You had a lot of investment. And of course, then you had the sell-off with the subprime crisis and everything else. This time around, we could get to $150 per barrel in no time. All right? So just be mindful of that. And if you have $150 a barrel, plus the food prices, plus really out-of-control inflation on a global scale, you can imagine what's going to happen. You can imagine the breakdown of society, one country after the next. I told you the global economy is a chain. We start looking at the weakest links breaking first. You're talking about your Venezuelas, your Argentinas, your Zimbabwe's, your Lebanon's, your Syria's, your Turkey's. They start picking up steam. And again, look at what's taking place in Canada. It doesn't matter what they might claim is the cause. It was just the final straw. There are so many things that are taking place everywhere. Something just finally gave. It was a 5% increase to get on the subway. It was a 5% increase to the price of petroleum or diesel. That was it. It was the final straw. It's not going to take that much to break a lot more because they continue to put more and more pressure on the everyday man and woman. Gold prices. Around $1,900 an ounce. Gold has looked very good. Well, I mean, fundamentally speaking, for quite a while. Technically speaking, it's starting to pick up a little bit of momentum. We'll see if that carries through next week. Silver, same story. Flirting with $24 per ounce. Still very much heavily manipulated. And I know since I've been gone, there have been other fines that have been exacted on some of the major banks. With, of course manipulating the precious metals market. So, look, I'm a long-term investor when it comes to gold and silver. I very much believe in precious metals, commodities, and other industrial metals. And you're just going to have to deal with the ups and ups and downs of these markets. Believe me, it's been tough, but with these prices still at relatively low prices, you have to look at it as a gift to acquire more. Another interesting commodity, of course, is the price of lumber, which has rebounded some from its sell-off. Of course, last year we were about $1,700 per linear board feed. Then we went all the way back down, I think, to seven eight hundred. Now we're back up to about $1,300. And you have to remember, this was an argument that a lot of people, especially the deflationists, were saying, oh, look, lumber, lumber, it skyrocketed, yes, but now look, it's completely collapsed. And first off, you don't look at the lumber market as the barometer for overall inflation. It's just not that big enough of a market to make such a claim. But of course, I understand it. This is what the deflationists have to hang on to. So they want to say, well, look, the price skyrocketed. Now it's plummeting. Okay, this must mean, this must mean deflation. No. What did I say then? What am I going to continue to say now? You have to look at how everything settles. You have to look at lumber, in this case, lumber's trading range over the past 20, 30 years. And it was a trading range of $200 to $400, okay? So yeah, when you go up to $1,600, $1,700, I mean, that's standard deviations above its trading range. 
where does it settle? Because even if it came down and it collapsed, if you will, all the way back down to seven, eight hundred dollars, that's still well above its historical trading range. You get what I'm getting at here? So even if these deflationists want to say, oh, look, the price collapsed. Yeah, but where did it collapse to? Did it go back to its historical trading range over the past 20, 30 years? Or is it still well above that trading range? Because you have to remember, I don't have the statistics in front of me, nor do I remember the exact numbers. But I remember talking about this repeatedly when we were seeing these skyrocketing lumber prices, the, uh, the tens of thousands of dollars that that caused for new home prices to, to increase by tens, excuse me, tens of thousands of dollars to see an increase in new home construction just because of the price of lumber. And then, of course, you had that same type of inflationary effect in other building materials. Now, that price to build those homes is not going to be built into the price when those home builders go to sell it to somebody. So it doesn't matter if lumber prices then collapse thereafter. They're not going to say to those home, to those home buyers, oh, hey, well, here's a rebate check. Uh, don't worry about it. That's not how it works. So if those home builders incurred higher costs, guess what? They're going to pass those higher costs on to those home buyers. And now with the pickle that we find ourselves in because of what federal, the federal government, what the Federal Reserve has been doing, they are now really finding that they have trapped themselves, which, of course, I have been educating and informing this audience on for the past three years. Our central bank's trapped was my first capital economics presentation. You can still find that on thecapitalnews.com. You can still find it on our YouTube channel. That was three years ago. That was before the pandemic. Okay? How did I know? Because this is what I know. This is what I do. They were trapped then. They're even more trapped today. Because they have to make a decision. Do we want to put the economy in recession by increasing interest rates? Or do we want to combat inflation, which of course would put us into a recession? which is what Paul Volcker did in the 1970s, former Federal Reserve chairman, when you really had inflation out of control. They're going to are they really going to increase interest rates or they want to keep them low to keep the economy moving, to keep the stock market up at elevated levels? Yeah, the markets have been selling off, but ladies and gentlemen, we are still at really, we are very close to all-time highs, Okay. Has it been that catastrophic? It's just catastrophic to a bunch of new young traders who think that markets only go up and all you got to do is buy anything and you can make money. That's not how it works. The Federal Reserve has distorted and destroyed markets. Now, of course, the markets will have the last laugh. Free markets still exist in some little bit. They're still there. And even that small bit of free markets can still bring this whole house of cards down, which is what's exactly going to happen. And that's exactly what needs to happen. And that will be excruciatingly painful for the vast majority of people on this planet. But they've trapped themselves. This is their doing. And they're trying to see how they can undo it. Well, they can't undo it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a laughing stock, if you will, for the Fed to come out and 
sort of act or talk tough to fighting inflation and talk about increasing the federal funds rate by 25 basis points a handful of times throughout this year, which will get us to what? One and a half, two, two and a quarter, maybe two and a half percent on the federal funds rate. Meanwhile, we're dealing with a CPI, an inflation rate of seven and a half percent. We're dealing with producer price inflation of 9.7 percent. We have import prices up 10.8 percent, and we have export prices up 15.1 percent year over year. Export prices probably being the closest number to the realistic inflation rate. So while they tell us it's 7.5 percent, it's most likely double that. Again, indicative of export prices at 15.1 percent because export prices obviously take into consideration domestic production costs. You got to produce it before you can export it. And if you look at shadowstats.com, an economist who calculates inflation the way it used to be calculated in the 1990s is over 10%. And the way that inflation used to be calculated in the 1980s is over 15%. So it's laughable for the Federal Reserve to say they're going to be tough on inflation and then maybe, maybe only increase the federal funds rate to 2 2.5% by the end of this year. Meanwhile, we have inflation at 7.5%, and of course, it's much higher than that. So it's a laughingstock. They, they can't even be taken seriously. What Paul Volcker did to combat double-digit inflation back in the 1970s was increase the federal funds rate by double digits, actually higher than the nominal rate of inflation. Yes, it caused a recession. That's how they got the inflation under control. Does Joe Biden want a recession under his watch? Does Kamala Harris? Does Nancy Pelosi? Of course not. No politician does. Ronald Reagan didn't want one either. But you know what? That's what needed to be done. That's what you got to do. At least 30, 40 years ago, we still had people in leadership that said, well, that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. We don't have that today. And my God, I don't know our national debt levels off the top of my head back in 1980, but it wasn't even close to what it is today. We're a banana republic. It's 30 trillion and growing. Do not vote for these people, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you got, and it's what you're going to continue to get if you continue to vote for them. Stop, please, for the sake of yourself, your country, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, because they're all going to be impacted if we keep doing the same thing. What don't you get? Those are your inflation numbers. Those are your import prices up 10.8%. Those are your export prices up 15.1%. Okay. Now let's look at the foreign exchange market just to look at the dollar index trading at 96 spot 08. Okay. Now, of course, the dollar itself is weakening, but the dollar index is relative against a basket of currencies most heavily weighted against the euro. So despite the fact that inflation is eating into all of these major currencies, The dollar index has been going up. So despite the fact that we have a stronger dollar on the dollar index, we still have commodity prices that continue to march higher and higher and higher. Aluminum is at a multi-year high. And aluminum is a major industrial metal that goes into so many other processes. 
So the same thing is it's it's like looking at oil. It's an input good to so many other manufacturing processes, goods, services, you name it. This is not over, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's not even close. And it's really just getting started. So can you imagine if we had a weaker dollar, dollar index, what that would end up happening to oil, to industrial metals, to precious metals, to agricultural products, okay? And I'm going to tie in what's going on with Canada and this shenanigan, these shenanigans with Russia and Ukraine and Belarus, of course, an ally of Russia. I'm going to bring this a little bit full circle here, all right? I'm going to do that here momentarily. But the other thing that you have to pay attention to with the dollar is if you continue to see an increasing dollar, what that will do to the rest of the world. Again, we've had multiple podcasts over the past couple of years on this as well. The dollar can be a wrecking ball if it continues to strengthen because so many debts around the world are denominated in U.S. dollars. A lot of other countries, a lot of smaller countries need to issue debt in U.S. dollars in order to catch a bid, in order for investors to say, oh, okay, well, at least I know I'm going to be paid in U.S. dollars and not some third world banana republic currency. Of course, that's the way the U.S. dollar is going too, but it's the best looking girl at the dance, so we'll take it. Well, if the dollar is strengthening against these other currencies, then it's going to take more of their domestic currencies to pay off their debt. You get it? So whatever they're producing locally, whatever they're collecting in tax dollars, a bigger share of their money now has to go to paying off their debts as opposed to reinvesting it back into their economies. So the inflation is just going to continue to spiral out of control. This is the world we are in. This is not going to unwind anytime soon. Okay? And as I have stated here for the past couple of years as well, be on the lookout for traditional correlations to break down. Well, we're seeing a dollar index increase and we're also seeing gold increase. We're seeing silver prices increase. We're seeing commod overall commodity price increases. Typically, that's not the case. That was one such example that I provided. That's exactly what we're going through now. They broke markets. This is what we get. All right. We have the Dow Industrial Average at 34,082 points. We have the S&P 500 trading at 4,350 points. And the NASDAQ 100 at 14,001 point. Yes, again, off their all-time highs, but still flirting with their all-time highs. And then lastly, to Uncle Sam's Treasury junk note, the 10-year, is yielding 1.93%. This was flirting with... 2% earlier in the week. This is because markets are sniffing out inflation. It's here. It's here to stay. It is not in, It is not transitory, which is what we were told for the past year. It wasn't. It's still here. Now they've thrown, they've thrown transitory into the garbage heap. It's gone. It's no longer transitory. Now, well, yeah, it might be here to stay. Jay Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, yeah, we kind of missed the boat on that one. Other members of the Federal Reserve coming out and saying the same thing. Our dingbat Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, she's nowhere to be seen anymore. I mean, I'm not complaining. I don't like listening or looking at the woman. But nonetheless, where is she at? 
These are supposed to be the brainiacs behind all this to solve all these problems. No, they caused them. Yet they're still in positions of leadership. They're still in positions of great power and authority, and they are not going to use it to help us, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't noticed. The other thing that is laughable, when the Federal Reserve comes out and says, well, we have the tools available to combat inflation and we really need to start putting a lid on inflation, well, guess what they did? Don't just pay attention to what they say. Look at what they did. The Federal Reserve's balance sheet increased last week by $33 billion, now standing at an all-time high of $8.911 trillion, $8.911 trillion an all-time high. We're going to fight inflation by creating inflation. These people aren't to be trusted. Don't listen to what they say. Look at what they do. The other thing that's laughable in all of this is if they say, well, we're going to start rolling off the balance sheet. We're going to start with the reductions, blah, 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 blah. And if we do that, we're going to roll off $15 billion per month. One five. One five billion. $15 billion. Per month. Of course, that can change, but that's what we're being told right now. Last week, they just increased it by $33 billion. That means it's going to take two months just to undo what they did last week. It's laughable. This, this is all in our face. Yet everybody's distracted with some other BS narrative that the media is putting out. Again, divide and conquer. It works very, very well. Stop falling for it. But I'm going to leave you with this. This is, this is sort of the full circle where it comes with Canada, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. Okay. God forbid we end up in some other type of shooting war. I do not think that Russia wants to invade Ukraine. That's my personal belief. What I think Russia and Vladimir Putin are concerned about, and rightly so from their perspective, is Europe and the United States perhaps wanting to make Ukraine a member of NATO, and then all of the extra military and the personnel that might be on Russia's border. Well, we wouldn't like it if this was on the Canadian border or the Mexican border. John Kennedy in the United States didn't like it when Russia was meddling in Cuba with the Cuba Missile Crisis. This is common sense stuff, okay? And of course, we have the mainstream media beating the, wars, the, the, the drums of war here, propaganda machine, military-industrial complex, let's go. Let's kill him. For what? Okay? So it makes sense for Russia to be concerned because they don't want any more Western forces on their border. Just like we wouldn't want Russian forces or Chinese forces on our borders. But apparently it's okay for us to do it, but nobody else to do it to us. Okay? This is what has gotten us in trouble over the past several decades. This is part of why we are $30 trillion in debt. When are people going to wake up and say enough is enough? But the point that I want to make with Canada, Russia, and Belarus, Belarus being an ally of Russia, obviously in the, in the area geographically, a staging center perhaps for Russian forces to attack Ukraine, Canada, Russia, and Belarus are the world's largest producers of agricultural fertilizer. It's not even close. 
It is not even close. China is in a distant fourth, I believe. It's not even close. So, you want to talk about killing people. You want to talk about a pandemic that killed people, shut businesses down, stopped the flow of goods and services, food being one of those goods, people starving to death in massive numbers over the past couple of years. But you're not supposed to know that. You're supposed to care about all of these people in the third world countries, these people of color. You're supposed to worry about them, but they starved to death over the past couple of years. Don't worry about it because you had your mask on. You were protecting everybody else. You were taking experimental drugs. One shot, two shot, three shot, four, however many they told you. Get in line. Massive deaths due to starvation over the past few years. Now, if you have the Canadian economy shut down because of what Justin Trudeau is doing, yep, no production of fertilizer. If you have Russia and Belarus engaged in a hot war, something tells me there's not going to be that much production of fertilizer, or if there is, they're going to be hoarding it to feed themselves as opposed to exporting it to a whole bunch of other countries. You get my drift? So if you think that food prices are going to be coming down anytime soon, you got another thing coming, especially if this turns into a hot war. God forbid that it does. But when all else fails, they take us to war. How many times have I said that over the past few years? Joe Biden doesn't know his ass from his elbow. Neither does his vice president. Neither do most of the people in this administration. They're failing economically. They're, they're failing with immigration. One topic after the next. They couldn't get COVID-19 under control, etc., etc., etc. Now, let's distract them with war. Pandemic is seemingly over. A couple of weeks ago, OSHA was arguing before the Supreme Court. Supreme Court, you, you have to mandate that people wear masks at work or that they take a test or that they get vaccinated. They have to do a combination of them. Two, uh, a couple weeks go by, oh, well, we withdraw our argument. Um... And we withdraw those types of mandates. I thought you were just so concerned about all of the deaths and the sickness and the contagion and all this stuff. I mean, you were just expedited a case to the Supreme Court. Now, uh, a couple of weeks go by, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that, uh, no, you can't do that, which, of course, was the right ruling. And they just withdraw their argument. You see what games are being played here? Don't be played for a fool. Don't be taken for a fool. By fools. It's all a game. This is all a massive experiment to see what they can get away with. And they got away with a lot. They destroyed your business. They determined many of us to be non-essential. Yet meanwhile, bigger businesses, bigger box stores that sell the same goods and services they were deemed to be essential. They masked you up. They said it was just going to be a couple weeks, turned into two years. They masked up your children, which is going to do untold social and mental damage to them. They don't get sick. Now they're going, they're saying, oh, well, now you can put the shots into five-year-olds, even infants, I hear. An experimental drug. It's perfectly fine to put it in 
to your children. This is this is BS. This is bogus. This is baloney. They just want to see what they can get away with. I told you. This was a Milgram experiment. Look it up. Talked about it on a podcast. I'm sure I will bring it up in more detail on another podcast. But that's all this has been. To see what they can get away with. How far can they push the people on this planet? This country, the United States of America, was founded on not trusting government authority. Yet everybody, uh, I don't want to say everybody, obviously, but (laughs) a significant portion of the people in this country, hook, line, and sinker, bought in to the government propaganda to roll up your sleeves, to take one, two, three, four shots, I mean, all these people do is lie to you. Why would this time be any different? $30 trillion in debt. All they do is lie to you. We got inflation under control. They just printed another $33 billion in one week. All they do is lie. Wake up. We're, we're a banana republic. How much further down into the hole do we have to go before you wake up. I take no pleasure or pride in saying this, but you have to admit that there is a problem before you can solve it. Turn people on to the Capitol News. We have to save this country. It's great to be back. Thank you so much for sticking with me. Stay diversified, stay vigilant, and stay with the Capitol News. I am Alex Caritas. Godspeed. <laughs>